If you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. We'll be finishing this chapter this morning, beginning in verse 17. Our second president, John Adams, once said that we all have a passion for distinction. Do you believe it? He went on to say that we are actuated by a desire to be seen, to be heard, to be talked of, approved, and respected. In more modern language, we want status. We want to be a somebody. We want likes and views on our social media. We want promotions and titles at our work. We want invitations to the best parties at the most important people's houses. We want to be starters, not second string, on the best teams that there are in the city. To use more theological language, we want glory. To quote one of my favorite theologians, Nacho Libre, in the form of a question, he says this, don't you want a little taste of the glory just to know what it tastes like? You may be surprised to hear me say that it's not necessarily wrong for a Christian to desire glory. One day, if we are in Christ, we are told repeatedly in the New Testament that we will be raised with Him in glory. As Judy prayed, we will shine like the stars. We will rule with Him. We will reign with Him. We will be seated at the top with Him in glory. The problem is not with a desire for glory. The problem is when we are climbing the wrong ladder. The problem is when we are seeking glory in the wrong way or too soon at the wrong time. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus teaches us the way to the top. The right way to the top in his kingdom. But it is a way that is fundamentally different from what we instinctively know and what we have been taught in the culture that we swim in. The setting of our passage, which begins in verse 17, we are told two times, I think is a way to clue us into something important, that Jesus is on His way up to Jerusalem. He is climbing up to Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was at the top, both literally and figuratively. It was at the highest point in the area of Judah. It was the place 
where the king sat. So it's literally at the top, but it's also figuratively at the top in that it represents the seat of power. This is where the king of Israel is to be enthroned. Now, there had not been a Davidic king on the throne in Jerusalem for hundreds of years. But people are beginning to see and even say that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is the Son of David. That He is the King. And what do kings do? They sit at the top on the throne. Earlier in chapter 19, Jesus even promised His disciples that they would sit on twelve thrones with Him in His kingdom. And so, as they are approaching, even going up to Jerusalem, we shouldn't be surprised that a couple of His disciples are beginning to jockey for the best seat, the seat of status next to Jesus in His kingdom. They, as John Adams said, had a passion for distinction. But what Jesus teaches us in this passage is that the way to the top begins at the bottom. The way up is the way down. The way of ascent is the way of descent. Or as we said in another sermon already, the cross comes before the crown. This passage is divided into two scenes. Interestingly, both of these scenes, two people come and ask Jesus a question. And in both of these scenes, Jesus turns and asks them a question. What do you want? One of the most fundamental questions that we can ever answer in our life. What do you want? The first set of questions, the first scene, Jesus teaches us the way to the top in His kingdom. And in the second scene, he teaches us what we need to see if we are going to follow him to the top. Let us stand now for the reading of this passage, beginning in verse 17, all the way through the end of the chapter. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. 
But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, two scenes. The first one teaches us the way to the top in Jesus' kingdom. And the second one, what we need to see if we are going to follow Jesus to the top. Let's begin with the first scene. This is what we learn. To sit at the top with Jesus, we must serve at the bottom like Jesus. Jesus. To sit with him at the top, we must serve like him at the bottom. As they are making their way up to Jerusalem, Jesus takes his disciples aside to teach them something. For the third time, this is important, this isn't the first time, He is going to say this to them. Not the second time he is going to say this to them. But for the third time, he tells them what's going to happen when they get to the top in Jerusalem. He says that he is going to be delivered over to the religious leaders. And that they are going to declare a verdict of guilty and condemn him to death. And then those religious leaders are going to, in turn, deliver him over to the governing authorities, to Herod and to Pilate, and that they would have him crucified. Only then, only after he has gone all the way down, will he then be raised up in glory on the third day. This is Jesus' way to the top. He has been repeatedly teaching this lesson since chapter 16, but the disciples still don't get it. They are so dense. Why do we know that they still don't get it? Because of what happens immediately after He teaches this lesson, says it for the third time. Two disciples, James and John, 
come up to ask Jesus a question. Actually, they have their mommy ask the question for them, which I think, in light of what the question is, is kind of ironic. But nevertheless, as the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and is in some way um, making it clear that she's about to entreat this soon-to-be enthroned king, he asks her a question, really asking it to James and John. He says, what do you want? Maybe the most important question that we will ever give an answer to in our lives. What do you want? What do you desire more than anything else? What is your driving passion in your life? Can you be honest? The sons of Zebedee were honest. They knew exactly what they wanted. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right hand and His left when He was up on the top in his kingdom. They want the highest level of status in his kingdom at the top. They want a little taste of the glory just to know what it tastes like. And again, this is the paradox of the Christian life, hard for us to understand, but it is not necessarily wrong. For them to desire glory, for us to desire glory. If we are in Christ, we are destined for glory. But if we want a share in Christ's glory, we have to get it through Him. Through Him. And we'll have to get it in the way that He got it. James and John, they do not yet understand this. But thankfully, for their sake and for our sake, Jesus is gracious to teach them the right way to arrive at the top. He uses the word no two times in what follows. In verse 22, he says, you do not know what you are asking. In verse 25, he says, you know the way that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So this is what I want you to see. There is something that they don't know that they need to learn. And there is something that they do know that they need to unlearn. What they don't know is the way of Jesus. What they do know is the way of of the world. Let's begin with what they don't know in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They say that they are, but they don't yet get what is meant by it. The cup that Jesus is to drink is speaking of the cup of suffering. I know this because of many Old Testament allusions, but 
just explicitly in a couple chapters over in chapter 26 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he is going to suffer on the cross. What does he say to his Father? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If it is possible, do I have to go to the cross? But then later he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He knew that he had to drink the cup. He knows that the only way to the top was the way of suffering. He knew that he had to die for our sins. That he had to take God's judgment that we deserve for our sins upon Himself. That He had to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs so that we wouldn't have to. He would wear the crown. Do you notice that there is nowhere in this passage that Jesus is saying, oh no, I don't want glory. I don't want to sit on the throne. I don't want to be the king. He never says that he will wear the crown but he knows that the cross comes before the crown that's the way to the top the next time interestingly that we hear of two people on the right side and the left side of Jesus is where? Where two thieves are hanging on the cross next to Him. Friends, if we want to come after Jesus and follow Him to the top, we have to take up our cross daily and follow Him there. James and John will eventually drink the cup of suffering that Jesus is talking about. They will move from head knowledge that they still don't get into experiential knowledge. Soon enough, James is actually the first martyr in the Christian church. You can read about that in the book of Acts. But at this point, they still don't know what they're asking. They still don't know the way of Jesus. The only thing that they know is the way of the world. So in verse 22, he says, you don't know what you're asking. In verse 25, he tells them what they do know. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. They bear down over them. What they know is the way of the Gentiles, specifically the way of Roman rule. The way of power and position. Or maybe they know the way of the great ones in their own community. Guys like Herod. The Sanhedrin. The very people that put Jesus to death. That's what they know. What do you know about the way to the top? If Jesus were addressing us, would He say, 
you know the way of the Gentiles, the Roman authorities? No, he would speak to our own context. What would he say about what we know? You know the way of the American dream. Push your way to the front of the line. Dominate. Be the king of the hill. Do whatever it takes. Even if that means maybe fudging a little on the truth. Cheating a little here and there. Pushing the little guy out of the way. This isn't only the stuff that is made for Washington, D.C., politics. This is the thing that we see at a very early age in grade school on the playground, in middle school, in the lunchroom. You're not going to sit by me. What we know is the way of clawing our way to the top into positions of status. And that's what the disciples knew as well. That's the models that they had seen. But notice the crux of Jesus' teaching is in verse 26. He says, It shall not be so among you. You know this way, but you need to unlearn that way. You need to come to learn my way. He's already alluded to his way in speaking of the cup, but now he gets real explicit for them and for us. He says, if you want to be great, if that's what you really want and desire, you have to serve. If you want to be at the front of the line, if you want to be first, that's okay, but you're going to need to be a slave. This is the way. This is revolutionary thinking. Just think for a moment, culturally. What was a slave in Roman culture? The bottom of the bottom. At the very bottom of the social ladder. For a slave to become in a position of leadership was unthinkable. This is not the way of the world. But Jesus says, this is my way. And if you are my disciples, it will be your way as well. The way to the top in the kingdom of heaven is the way of Jesus. And so Jesus concludes his speech in verse 20, 28 by saying, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to remind you of something I've said a number of times in this series already. I believe that every time that Matthew calls Jesus, or that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is referring to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. You can go and reread them. Jesus is the Son of Man. He will be raised to the right hand of the ancient of days. He will be exalted to the highest position in the universe. 
But how did he ascend? By first descending to the point of death. The Son of Man in Daniel 7, one day all of the nations will serve him. That's what Daniel 7 says. But what happens before all of the nations serve him? He serves them. He poured out his life unto death. He paid the price for our sins. He offered his life as a payment, a ransom to redeem those who were bound in slavery to sin and to Satan. And those that he has bought now belong to him. Do you believe that? You were bought with a price. You are not your own. And if you have been saved by him, the servant of the Lord, you are now called to serve the Lord and to serve others through him. To sit at the top with him, you must serve at the bottom like him. When you think of greatness in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, greatness in the Christian community, what comes to your mind? Who are the rock stars in the church? Is it the pastors, the elders? What does greatness look like? Having a building named after you? Having a platform? Having everybody know your name in the community? There's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things. Some of those things may in fact be good things, but we have to remember the way of Jesus was the way of sacrificial service, not of seeking status. People in the most visible roles actually ought to be out in front modeling this way of sacrificial service, of laying down their lives for others, not of propping themselves up on some pedestal. Jesus came to serve. The cross is the supreme example of that. But it's not the only example. Throughout Jesus' entire ministry, this is what he has been doing. And it's demonstrated in the second scene in our passage. As Jesus gets close to Jerusalem, he's real close now. He's at Jericho. There are two more people that approach him with a question. Two blind men. These two blind men approaching Jesus, I think in the first instance, are giving him an opportunity to demonstrate what he just taught. That what he's about when he's really close to the top is still serving other people. But this episode also gives us a picture of what we need, of what we should want if we want to follow Jesus all the way to the top. And this is what I think it teaches us, that we need our eyes opened if we are going to follow Jesus to the top. Can we get that on the screen? 
We need our eyes open to follow Jesus to the top. We need our eyes open to see the way that He has been teaching about. There is a contrast in this scene from the last scene. In the last scene, Jesus' disciples clearly know that He is the King, the Son of David, and they ask a question of Him. What do they ask? They ask for a seat of status. The blind men also know that Jesus is the Son of David. But what do they want from Him? Do they want status? No. They want mercy. They cry out to Him two times, Lord, Son of David, have mercy upon us. There are crowds that are following Jesus, just like the disciples were following Him. And they are eager for Him to set up shop in Jerusalem and to run Rome out. To run the corruption out. That's what they want to see. They're excited. We'll learn more about this next week in the triumphal entry. And so what do they do to these blind men? They try to shut them up. We don't need any roadblock. Jesus is about there. He's about to the top. Be quiet. But the blind men are earnest for mercy. And so they continue to cry out. And Jesus asks them the same question that He asks the two disciples. He says, what do you want? What do you want? What's your chief desire? What do you want me to do for you? And they too knew exactly what they wanted. They said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Jesus could have said, I don't have time for you. I'm on my way to the top. But to demonstrate His way of service one more time, we are told that in pity or compassion, He touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed Him. I believe that this passage not only demonstrates Jesus' way of sacrificial service and compassion is the way to the top, but it also serves as a parable for us, an object lesson for us in what we need. You see, in our sin, we are blind to the way of Jesus. We, we see clearly the way of the world, the American dream, the way of the Romans, the way of the great ones to the top. We get that. It's on TV. It's it's, it's all over. But it's hard for us to see the way of Jesus. We are blind. And so we need our eyes opened to see His way. That the way up is the way down. The old African American spiritual blind man. Do you know it? I think that spiritual demonstrates that they understood as they sang exactly this connection between the physical blindness of these blind men and the spiritual blindness of all of us.
You know how the song goes. Blind man stood by the way and he cried. Blind man stood by the way and he cried. Blind man stood by the way and he cried. And what did he cry? Oh, show me the way. Show me the way. Show me the way. The way to go home. They wanted to know the way to heaven. They wanted to know the way to the top. But until their eyes were opened, until our eyes are opened, we won't know the way. We won't know the way of sacrificial service until we have come to experience Jesus' sacrificial service shown to us. That's why in the second verse of this spiritual, they say what Jesus said in the book of John. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The way to go home. I am the way to the top. But before we can learn the way to the top, we have to first come to see as I believe these blind men saw, that all of us are at rock bottom. The crowds thought that the main thing that they needed was for Jesus to run Rome out of Jerusalem. But the blind men saw that their biggest need, their greatest desire, was for mercy. In the world that we live in, some of us may be tempted to think that our biggest needs are political as well. That we just need our country put back in order. But do you see that that's not your biggest need? Your biggest need is also for compassion and for mercy, for forgiveness of your sins in eternal life in Jesus' kingdom. And so, can I say that if you have not yet received the mercy of Jesus today, that today you can. He poured out His life unto death for you. He drank the cup of the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to. If you will place your trust in Him, You can be forgiven of your sins and you will one day ascend into glory with Him. If you've already trusted Jesus, as many of you here have, what is the application for you if you are going to get the way of Jesus? You have to meditate on His way. You don't ever graduate from the gospel You don't ever grow old enough that you don't need to be told the story over and over again that He came not to be served, but to serve and to offer His life as a ransom for many. Does that still captivate your heart? Until it captivates your heart, until it is burned in your vision, you will not know the way of Jesus. The way of taking up one's cross daily and following Him. As I close, I want to end 
where we began this morning as Judy started our service is a way to just be reminded again of the way of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Show us the way. Show us the way to go home. Give us eyes to see the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. But then I pray that you would also strengthen our feet to walk in this way. We want to bring you glory in our lives. And we know that that will only come as we become more like your son. So work in us the things that are pleasing to you in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.